Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, we are so excited to invite the serious entrepreneur Ignor from Australia to join us. His story began by his parents moved to Australia from the formal USSR in 1991. Ignor started his entrepreneur journey when he's 16, building websites, and later moving to IT sector and spent decades building technology solutions. Until one day, he got hooked in golf. And become accidental entrepreneurs with a virtual golf company, and after many, many incredible journeys, today he's a founder and CEO of Twenty Four Seven Golf and Golf Track. With that, everybody, I am so excited to welcome Ignore to the show today. Thank you so much. Let's get the show begin. So excited to have you on the show with us today. So let's dive into your journey. How does all the magic begin with you? Well, it goes a long way back to 1980. Mm. Uh, so I was born on the day that the Olympic torch was being um, carried through my hometown called Kishinev in Moldova. So it used to be part of the USSR. Mm. It's uh, its own country now. It's bankrupt. It's right next to Ukraine, wedged mm-hmm. in between Ukraine and, and Romania. Mm-hmm. So uh, my mom's family's from Ukraine. So I spent a lot of time in Ukraine when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, it started there. Um, I think I was kind of born an entrepreneur in a, you know, communist country. It was like, I was very different to the other kids. Um, and probably the best example I remember back, I think in 1986, I was six years old. There was um, Monopoly first came to USSR, which was, you know, a big deal because it's, you know, it's the capitalist game, right? The, the epitome of capitalism is Monopoly. Uh, and it finally arrived. And so obviously I was one of the first to get it because I loved that stuff. And I played computer games very early days. But I'll just never forget that I got this Monopoly, but of, of course, USSR released their own version of Monopoly, mm-hmm. which was called Cooperative. So it's, you know, the, the socialist version of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got that game too. And I think there was another game maybe as well that I got. I can't remember. But the one thing I do remember is I played all these games and, and I was really frustrated. Mm. Uh, so I was like I was like seven or eight years old, right? And um, I was frustrated because uh, I, I couldn't make enough money. So I created my own board game where like I chipped in all the money, you know, the little paper and mm-hmm. money from all the other games into my game. And the good thing about my game was like, it was like, it had never, no end. So you just continue to make more and more money. So I was like seven or eight in a, you know, communist country. It's like, I was definitely born a little bit different. So you create a new game. Yeah. So you get to win all the monies. You Pretty play much. with yourself. Yeah. So you could just make more and more and more and more. <laughs> I could play with my friends, but no one could beat me in Monopoly, obviously, because I was just course. so good at it and it was in my own game. Um, Why do you think you're always different? Look, I think a lot of things, uh, you know, there's there's the question of nurture versus nature, yeah. right? So I think I, w- I was born with a bit of a spark, right? So I think that that either happens or it doesn't. Um, but the other thing is, you know, really my parents. Mm-hmm. And my parents always um, encouraged me. And, you know, they always said that you can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to work really hard for it. Um, and I think I really took that to heart. And I saw that things were possible maybe where other people thought they're not possible. And so I always had this attitude and, and, you know, got me into a lot of trouble as well. I'm sure we'll get to later in the entrepreneurial journey where I just believe things are possible. You know, I see things. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's what I try to instill in my kids as well is that, you know, everything is out there. You just got to be, you know, willing to, to put in the, the work mm. and keep trying. 
Incredible. So tell us about Journey when you're 10 years old. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, the, the Soviet Union was falling apart, and uh, we had a very long, long, uh, long distance relative that you know left like in in the late 20s or something to Australia. And so we ended up getting visas to come to immigrate to Australia after a very you know like a two or three year sort of you know hard work, um, and uh, we flew uh, from from Moscow, uh, I think via. Delhi or I can't remember where, but anyway, I remember through Singapore, we flew Aeroflot and then um, Singapore, we flew, you know, Q, QF1, this Qantas flight. Um, I think it's QF1, uh, Singapore to Melbourne. And uh, I remember, you know, it was 10th of May, 1991, we landed in Melbourne. Uh, the most memorable thing about that flight is I didn't, I didn't speak any English. Um, so, uh, but, but I knew that, um, oh, and, and there, there was no Coca-Cola in, in, Soviet Union, only Pepsi. Mm. They obviously got the deal. And so there was, I was offered a Coca-Cola on the flight, you know, one of those little cans. Um, by, by the end of that, I think eight hour flight, I had 33 cans of Coke. What? Uh, for a little 10 year old kid. So I was bouncing off walls. It was pretty funny. Probably not funny for my parents, but that, that was a memorable trip. Um, and we landed in Australia and uh, we had $200, mm. um, which was all the money that my parents saved up over the time. And for my, you know, USSR and we, my, my dad took like, um, so because the ruble collapsed, I remember my dad leaving the house with like two supermarket bags full mm -hmm. of cash, rubles to go to the bank to convert it. And he came back with two notes, $200 notes. Mm. Uh, so we, all we had was $200, I think four suitcases maybe. And we started our life in Australia and, uh, you know, went to school. How was that like? Were you scary? I, Look, I, I don't remember, you know, mm. it's, I don't know if you have things like this when I don't remember much of my first 10 years of my life. It's, 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 mm. it's kind of so much has happened since that mm -hmm. I feel like those memories were mm -hmm. just suppressed somewhere. It's like snippets. Mm -hmm. And that first year in Australia, I barely remember as well. I remember going to school and not being able to speak to anyone because I, they couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand them. And it, it's, it probably was quite hard. But I, I don't remember because so much was going on. And, you know, we used to go to like a supermarket and, you know, we've never seen a supermarket. We've never seen like shelves with like stacked with food, oh. you know. So it was, you know, we used to just, you know, buy all these new things. So everything was so new. Mm -hmm. I remember it was pretty, pretty exciting, um, especially the food part. And, uh, and, and off we went. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's and And kind of life just started going and. You know, it was hard because back in 91, when we got to Australia, um, it was a, it was a heavy recession. Um, so there's very little work. So my dad, who's a, was an IT, um, and like a software engineer, but you know, he was just trying to get any job in tech. And, uh, I think he ended up, uh, his first job was like, uh, assembling like PCs, um, for this little computer shop, like in a strip mall for $5 an hour, you know, and that was his first job. And. For, for the first two years, he couldn't get work, anything besides that. And it was really tough. Uh, and uh, How's that experience impacting you, Igor? That's a good Seeing question. your parents, you know, moving to a new country, your dad was just find any job possible to support a family. How was that experience shaping you? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it allowed me to understand that, you, you know, for your family, you do whatever it takes. You know, because when I was, you know, fast forward a little bit, we'll come back to it. But, you know, when I was in, in a really tough situation financially, mm. you know, I, um, you know, I just, it was just, it doesn't matter what I had to do. Like I just, I had to, to make money for the family, to feed my, my child, to, to look after, you know, uh, 
yeah, as much as I can. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of showed it to me, you know, just whatever it takes. Beautiful. Yeah. So fast forward, what happened? Now you settle in Australia, you find your groundings. What's next? Um, so um, I, I guess I kind of always had the inkling that I wanted to build something. You know? mm. I used to play this game, Civilization, <laughs> Sid Meier's Civilizations. Uh, which is funny because the other person, famous person I know played it obsessively at, at that age was Elon Musk. I found out when I read his biography. It was really cool. And I used to be obsessed with it. Um, I actually started playing it, the first version, back in Soviet Union. That's mm. I learned a little bit of English from the game. And I always wanted to build, you know, build, build, build. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love tech. I was a super geek uh, growing up. And uh, I just I wanted to be in tech and you know, I pursued that and I actually, so technically I started my first business. Um, so I started working in tech for a company that my dad used to work for. It was a healthcare company. I used to run like network cables and, you know, and peripherals and printers and stuff when I was like 14. Wow. Yeah. So I was working and I was, I was really happy with that job. And then uh, I worked at McDonald's for three months. Um, I couldn't last more than three months was my cup of tea. Although I learned a really good thing there. Um, I learned a very valuable lesson, which I still remember today, which is to always say please and thank you mm. when you ask for something, when you get something. I love that. Um, they, they taught that very well in training. So that's interesting. And, um, and then I started my first business as such when I was about 17. Tell us about that. 16 or 17. Um, well, I, I kind of, I was, I was messing around with websites and you know, when, um, no one ever knew what a website was. Mm. And uh, I thought, well, companies will probably want it. So again, I went back to like where my dad used to work. I asked them if they wanted one and they said yes. And so I created the first you know, website for them um, and a logo that used to like spin, you know, with an animated <laughs> GIF. This is like, this is 97, <laughs> right? This was like the most advanced piece of tech. Love it. Now that company now is the biggest healthcare company in Australia, publicly listed, right? Mm. Multi-billion dollar company. I did their first website. Wow. For, I think that paid me $100. I can't remember. <laughs> but it was great. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and I started that and I just started talking to different businesses, people I knew about, do they want a website? And started building websites. Um, and I worked through uni, uh, college. Um, so I finished school at 17, went to college, did an IT degree. I kind of started, um, I was doing websites and then I got a job. So I got a full-time job in, an, in one of the first e-commerce startups. Uh, had VC backing in, in Melbourne, called Wishlist. Mm. And um, yes, yeah, I was working full time. It was about a two minute drive from, from my college campus. So I used to basically skip college and uh, just go turn up for the exams uh, and, uh, and, and work full time in e-commerce. Um, While you're at school? Yeah, yeah. That's for, insane. Yeah, kind of, school wasn't that hard. I, I didn't find it that hard. Um, I didn't get the best marks, but it kind of didn't, I didn't care, you know, uh, and I worked through that. And then while, when I sort of finished, I worked there for maybe a year and then I, I didn't like it anymore. It grew a lot, changed. So I started more consulting. I was like nine, 18, 19, uh, you know, so I was, uh, I was doing uh, software development as a consultant, earning silly money for, uh, like I was like $45 an hour for an 18, but like back in 98. Yeah. Huge money. Yeah. Well, you were for yourself at the time? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, then I finished my college degree um, and uh, straight out I went, got a job in, in consulting. So I kind of went away from business and mm -hmm. 
because back then it was it was just at the uh, just after actually the two thousand crash you know, mm. they, when tech went a bit down, and everyone was talking about how important it was to get, to get into consulting, you know, Oracle, or SAP, or this. So I ended up first in e-commerce consulting for a, for a big uh, second tier multinational, uh, and then I actually uh, got uh, somehow hired to uh, SAP, mm. SAP, so the Asia Pacific division. And I spent a few years uh, working there, and um, Actually, just before I started there, one of our good family friends gave me a book, which I'm sure you've heard about, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yes. <laughs> so I read that. I'm like, oh yeah, this this is this is good, you know. And uh, while I was working, I started buying property. Uh, with the, first with the help of my parents. Again, they've been very prominent in my life. And while I was working, I built up a bit of a, a really good portfolio, and then you know um, I still wanted to to go into business. Um, and then, uh, that was my first real sort of, I was late 22, maybe 23. Um, I had a really successful pro- multi-million dollar property portfolio. Uh, and, uh, but I was, I was kind of really miserable in my job. I wasn't personally very unhappy. Uh, and I read all these books about how to quit your job, you know, and find your passion and do all that. So I kind of quit my job. And as I quit my job, I invested sort of the money from my properties into this business with, um, you know, the, the, the four stooges, I was one of the, it was three stooges and I was the fourth. And so I funded it and it failed miserably and I lost everything. Everything? Every, I lost everything except one house. What happened? Um, it was just, I, I committed the equity and then it was like a house of cards. So the business was a complete sham, you know, and, and so hundreds of thousands of dollars I invested into it was just blown in months, in like three months. But then because I quit my job, the, the bank um, kind of, I was in breach of my loan, my mortgage. And so they basically said, you have to either refinance or sell your properties. And I was 23. I didn't know what I was doing. So I had a fire sale of all these properties and just to pay off all this debt. And it was just a disaster. So How was of, that experience where it was, it was your first test in the investing world or yeah. equity world and you doubled down everything you have and then overnight seemed like you lost everything? Well, it felt like overnight. And I remember to this day, I remember... Um, I, 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 so I was living in Sydney and, um, I had like just nothing left. Um, and I was too embarrassed to, to ask my parents for help. Cause I just, I had all this success and I just blew it in such a monumental way. And, uh, I remember, uh, I called one of my former clients. I thought, well, what do I know? Like, what, what can I do? Right. I can, I can go back to consulting. So I called one of my former clients, which was in Brisbane, was up North, um, in Australia, and um, I said, "Do you need some services?" And they said, "Yeah, come come to Brisbane. You know, you would would love your help to work on some stuff." And so I kind of set up a business, consulting business, and I got in my car. I had this red Honda sports car. I remember, and I drove it with all my belongings in the car, and um, I had so little money that I ran out of petrol. I was running out of petrol um, when I got to Brisbane. I, I managed to get a place to stay with a friend. And um, I like I had just have enough fuel to get there, and I got to this uh, petrol station, you know, uh, gas station they call it here. And um, all I had was like two dollars in my pocket. I had literally no other cash except two dollars. And I I had to like I hadn't eaten for like eight hours for the entire drive. I was starving, and I, I remember I was like, "What can I get?" And I got a can of Coke for dollar eighty. I'll never forget this, right? Because I thought, okay, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. This has sugar. 
and I can kind of quench my thirst. I got a can of Coke for $1.80 and I had 20 cents left. And I'll, I'll just never forget that moment. That's all you have left? It, I mean, I had a car and yeah. I had, you know, but but in That's terms of easy. cash, like to actually like to go buy food uh, or like to dry clean my suit so I can go to like yeah. on the next day to this client to try to win some work. That's all I had. How do you mentally <laughs> already where you were a multimillionaire like a week, months ago mm-hmm. to today you have $2 and your name when you're about to buy something I, to I eat, how do you, how do you make peace with it and move forward? I did not make peace with it. Um, I, was it very uh, hard? It was very hard. I, uh, but but you know something happens. I, I think this is where your you know fight or flight instinct mm-hmm. kicks in, and something really strange happened that literally that day because it was a Sunday, and on Monday I was going to go to the office. Uh, of this client, it was a big uh, power company, and hopefully win some work and you know start, invoice them and get some money in the door. Um, and I, w- I was literally it was, it was it was this weird feeling like I went and and started rummaging through all of my belongings. To, I'm like maybe I left like a fifty bucks or a hundred dollars or twenty dollars in one of my pockets or something. So I literally I was like just searching, and I opened my wallet and I had all these receipts. I used to carry a really thick wallet. And it used to be like a hoarder of receipts. It was a really silly thing. And I like I start pulling out. And as I pull out, I pull out a check for seven hundred dollars. I had in my wallet. And but it was a Sunday, and you can't bank a check on a Sunday. And so I asked my friend who I was staying with. Uh, it was like near downtown. Uh, and I, I said like where where can I check? And she said well you can go to this company called Cash Converter. It's like a pawn shop. It's the big chain in Australia. And so I went and they cashed it for me, but they take a 30% cut to give you the cash. So oh that $700 God. gave me 400 something dollars. Oh my goodness. And that started, um, that basically started my business. Oh my God. And, and so I, I went that Monday to this client mm-hmm. the next day, put on a brave face, put on my suit and, uh, you know, I, I was good at what I did mm-hmm. and, and, and they liked my approach. And one of the things they liked, and I think this answers your question, like what makes me different or continue? I would always approach a problem that they would raise with, okay, how can we solve that? Like I would never go and go, oh, that can be done. I, my answer was always, okay, let's f- figure out how to do it. And I, for me, that made sense. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't realize that that's what was different. Mm-hmm. To a lot of other consultants. And so I went and I won work and I mm-hmm. started working there. And then they needed another person. So I hired, went and put an ad up and I interviewed people and I hired another person. And three years later, I had 21 people. Oh, wow. And doing four and a half million turnover. Wow. <laughs> but wait, I lost all of that too. But I'll what get to that. What happened? <laughs> So okay, you were so successful. In three years later, like multi-million dollars business, you were yeah. on top of the game at that moment. Then what happened? So um, about halfway through the growth, so first year I think I did like eighty-six thousand dollars revenue. Second year did I think, and I know these numbers really well. So lesson to be learned here, right? Know your numbers. Uh, I did two hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars revenue. So it was like all right, I was I already had one person working for me. I think it was one. Um, and then second years when it really took off and um, I did 1.6 million. And along that growth, I had this couple used to work for me, uh, contracting, and they were husband and wife. Um, and um, I said to them, hey, look, I'm really good at sales, which I 
by the way, I learned completely by accident. I don't know how I got good at sales, but I fell in love with sales. And I think every entrepreneur to be successful has to love sales. Like Why is that? It's the number one skill. To, mm. you know, it's, and when I say sales, it's influencing people, motivating your, you know, motivating people, motiv- motivating your staff, motivating your supplier, talking to your suppliers and telling them, look, I'll pay you next month, I promise. But being able to exude that mm-hmm. sort of sales instinct to convince people, I think that overall I call sales. I love that. And I think it's the number one skill. It's, uh, when I had kids, I'm, I, I said the first thing I'm going to teach them is how to sell. It's like my seven and a half year old can ne- out negotiate most people. How do you teach them? We'll get to that. I, I, <laughs> I, I have to think about that one. I, I'm not even sure. Great. So but you're a fantastic salesperson, and when was by next? accident, by I, 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 at least I thought I thought I was. So I, uh, I said to these guys, I said, you do the delivery. Right, because you're good at project managing and all of that, and because uh, it was an, like an IT change management uh, sort of transform project transformation, and um, and I will go and sell, um, and, and we did that. And the company grew to, like I said, four and a half million in a year and a half after that, and uh, and they, uh, in fact, I'll, 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 again, these little, you know, there's these little moments in your life you you will always remember. It's like these very turning points that you don't realize they're turning points as they're happening. I remember in July, I think it was 20, so 2006, 2007, I can't remember. I think it's 2007, um, somewhere around there. I woke up in a panic one morning. I was working in Sydney for Village Roadshow. You know, Village, the, no, they're like a big Warner Brothers, the Australian equivalent. And um, I, I woke up in the hotel room and I'm like in this massive panic. I'm like, I got to get out of the business. I got to get them out of, like, something's wrong. I got to get them out. Just because. I just, I could sense something was not right, you know? And this was July, right? This is uh, just after my birthday, I remember, first week of July. Wow. And I'm like, something's not right. And uh, and I spoke to, I had these mentors I used to pay, like, to help me with the business. And I spoke to them and, I don't know, somehow I convinced them, they convinced me everything will be fine. You know, there's nothing wrong. The business is growing so well. Don't screw it up but it was not fine. And uh, they had this, they started having these conversations with me like, hey, you know, we're doing all this hard work um, and all you do is have coffee with people all day. I'm like, yeah, that's called sales. You know, like, you know how for 20 years you, you, you were contracting and you never had any staff and now we have 21 staff and doing four over four mil, that's called sales. Um, but they refused to believe that. And in the end I said, look, okay, I'm going to be pragmatic about this. I'll sell the company to you, right? Because I was ready to move on. I, I, to be honest, I didn't love the company. I pretty much hated every day waking up and going to the office, but I made good money. But my passions lay elsewhere, and it was just a tool. So I said, buy me out. And they're like, no, they're not going to buy me out. Well, what do you mean? Like, so what are we going to do? Like, well, they just want to, like, I get, so I gave them 40% of the company for free. I said, run it. So I had 60%. And they said, no, we want 60%, you have 40 but hold on, I built this, I sold this, you know, I sold all this work. Um, and we were at the stalemate and then I had really two big, big clients. One of them was massive, it was like 80% of my revenue, which was a big mistake to make in a consulting business, uh, which was uh, one of the, the biggest, one of the biggest mining companies in the world based in, uh, in Australia uh, called Rio Tinto. And they, uh, these guys had like friends and procurement 
And what they literally did at that company and another big mining company that was also a client, um, they re got them to rewrite contracts from 1st of January, so after the new year, 1st of January to their private company, another company they set up. And so 1st of January, I lost 80% of my revenue. Wait, I don't understand. So they write a contract. Yeah, like a, a purchase order, yeah. They, they rerouted the purchase order to another company to their, that they owned. Oh. And, and, they just, and they just took the contractors that we had because obviously like we would pay our contractors mm -hmm. called $700 a day and we charged them out $1,000 a day. So they take those contractors yeah, to do... Yeah, they took no expense, so no offices, no computer, no equipment, no, no technology. They said, oh, no, we'll just, we'll just take them. And so I literally lost my entire business overnight. Oh, wow. And... Uh, and I went, like, I wanted to sue them and I wanted this. And at the time I met this amazing woman, Carolyn Deegan. She's one of my mentors. She's an amazing lawyer in Sydney. And uh, I was telling her the story when I first met her at dinner. And, um, and she just, she said to me, she said, you, you can spend the next three years and probably $700,000 going to court and you will lose because you'd have to sue Rio Tinto. Like, it's a $50 billion company, like as if you're going to sue them, you know. Uh, I said, or you can take that money and that energy and, and rebuild. Mm. And I, I listened to her and I, and I went and I rebuilt and I got, um, it was very, very hard. I was going through extreme depression and, you know, anxiety and all that. How do you move forward? I, well, which, which other ways that I go? <laughs> right? uh, that's always Fair the question. People, whenever people ask me, how do you keep going? I don't know where else to go. Yeah. Like, what else do you do? Just, yeah. I don't know, like, I, I, I don't, I mean, maybe other people find other, maybe that's how people get into substances or other things. I was like, I'm, I wasn't interested in those things. I'm very lucky that I kind of, they, they never excited me. You know, I was an adrenaline junkie. I used to race cars and all of that was what excited me. I'm like, well, I can't go race cars to get over this things. Like, the only thing I can do is just keep going and keep trying to, you know, build it and try again. Um, That's incredible. So you lost everything sec again, second, second time. time. So what's next? Do you build exact same businesses or well, do you shift into so a different I, I started building the same business and I, and I got, and I managed to win something like $700,000 of contracts. Like I remember Alcatel Lucent, which is a massive telco multinational, uh, another, another steel manufacturer, one of the biggest in Australia. And another one I can't remember now. And I got the, these contracts and I started hiring staff to, to deliver. And then, uh, 2007, remember the little GFC we had, the global financial crisis, 2007? Yeah. So in that same week, it was March, I think, 2007 when it hit. In one week, I got a phone call from every one of those companies that said, we've canceled the project. And that's when I lost, that's when I really lost everything. And, uh, and like just everything gone, you know and uh, all the people are hired to rebuild and er everything gone. And so I had to like max out my, my house equity to, to do that, borrow from my parents again. And uh, that was really, that was probably one of the toughest times. Um, and uh, again, I was like, well, what do you do? Like, I can't, can't lose the house, you know, where my parents leave my family, you know, and uh, the family house. Um, so I was like, okay, I've got to go try to find a job. So I went, got a job. <laughs> wow. That must take a lot of courage. 
shifting from entrepreneur and the business owner now、yeah. have to humble down to get a job so you can get over this. Yeah, the, the toughest part was you know like making up all this stuff in the interview on on the resume about. I mean, I did a lot of really amazing things, but when you go to a job interview, you know, you don't really want to kind of tell about all the you know the entrepreneurial stuff. You want to be more you know stable and all that. So you know, I used a little bit of creativity in the job interview. I'll just I'll use that word、uh, to get the job. But、uh, you know, first job interview I got, I got the job.、Mm. It was a really good job, and I ended up over three years there, and it allowed me to pay down some debt. Uh, you know, I've never.、Um, I, I take this with pride. I've never defaulted on a single loan in my life.、Mm. Um, so just keep working, keep spinning those wheels.、Um, then what happened, Igor? Then,、um, so obviously, I, I, I had. You know, once you have an entrepreneurial itch,、mm. there's nothing that can stop that. You know, there's no job can ever stop that. You know, you become unemployable. You know, really. <laughs> um, you know, it can be a temporary thing, but really, you're unemployable.、Uh, and、uh, I tried a few different businesses. I had like a car rental business, like exotic cars, and that you know, as that was a strange business. Well, we can skip that one.、Um, and then uh, I uh, I was working at Australia Post. That's that's the job I got. And、uh, at the bottom of the tower. Where the office was, there was this massive empty retail space. It was about six thousand square feet, with quite a large frontage. And、uh, around the same time, I、uh, one of my good friends that I've become good friends with,、um, he was a good golfer, and he kind of got me into golf a little bit. So this, I, was, I was about thirty then, just before thirty. And、uh, he said, "Let's look, there's this place where you can play indoor and get lessons. So why don't you come get some lessons so you can get a bit better? Because I really sucked at it." When I first start, as everyone sucks at golf, or almost everyone, when they first start out, and then、um, so I went there, and I'm like, oh, this is a really cool place, and you know, had like virtual screens and、so、like virtual golf, so it had six, I think, screens. You get lessons, you could play courses. Like this is really cool. You know, it was tech and it was golf and it was exciting. And I said, you know, and I've kind of paid off some of my debt, and you know, I was about to take, you know, like、hmm, maybe I can, you know, do a business. So I said to my friends, why don't we, you know.、Uh, Take this and move it into downtown where this office building is, and it was. It turns out it was going out of business. This business, and so、uh, with another partner who used to work there, we we bought the business for very little, and moved it into this space at the bottom of Australia Post,、uh, and opened a six thousand square foot you know、uh, golf indoor golf center, and that's how I got into golf. Wow, Edward,、Red. your story just. It's like a movie that playing fun of us. I'm just so impressed and wow.、Thank、so、you. now, what's next? So next is,、uh, you know, I、uh, I ended up I wasn't going to work in the business because I was going to work in tech and kind of fund it. And,、mm-hmm. But we we kind of learned that you know it 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 wasn't that easy to to have a fully set, you know managed business.、Um, and so I had to kind of step in. And in the end, I ended up leaving my job. Mm-hmm. And working in the business, and I,、um, you know, unfortunately, like I didn't earn an income from that business for for years.、Uh, in fact, I never earned any income from that business.、Uh, but、uh, at the time, I also met my wife.、Mm-hmm. We got married,、um, had our firstborn,、mm-hmm. our little boy,、um, and you know, I wasn't making any money, and that kind of that that was that sort of loop to that story I was telling you before that. 
I had to do something and I, I um, and I had to do something that allowed me to still work in this business because I was so desperate to make it work and, and make it a profitable business um, and trying to get some kind of income out of it. And I ended up uh, um, acquiring this, this little, uh, like a, like a, I don't know what you call it here, but it's like a, it was an Australia post like contract where you, you deliver mail bags and uh, to these points. And it was only like two or three hours of work every morning. And so I bought this little van, um, this Suzuki little van, and I used to drive in the mornings and deliver these mailbags. And I used to make maybe, you know, 500 bucks a week at best, uh, sometimes less, sometimes 350 a week. Uh, and uh, do that in the morning. My wife was working part-time at the time um, in the education sector. And, um, and then, you know, I would work from sort of 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. at this Australia Posting, uh, driving this little van, delivering mailbags. Um, and then I would go to the downtown and work in the shop till mm. 10 at night. Igor, I, I just, you hustles. And wow, like, how do you never look back? Because at that moment, this moment, you do whatever it takes to just make sure, you know, put food on the table for your family and, you know, be there for everybody. But how do you handle all that where there's so much glory in the past and you just move forward? What? How do you able to keep going? With great difficulty um, is, is the true, true answer. It's it's very hard. It's um, I think you're going to make a really conscious choice. Mm. Uh, what do you really want in life? What do you really want in life, Igor? Freedom. Mm. Freedom to do the things that I really want to do and to... Uh, to give my family the freedom to do whatever they want to do. And I think that can only come from an entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. May, may, I'm sure there are people who mm-hmm. who find that in other places and, and that's fantastic and amazing for them. Mm-hmm. But for me, mm-hmm. it's definitely the pursuit of the entrepreneurial journey. Do you always know that? I think I've always known that. And I was always, I, I, I don't think, I can't imagine, I can't even imagine being different. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like trying to, like, like imagine being a horse. <laughs> I, I just can't. Yeah. Wow. You really hustle. You really just want to make it work. And I, I'm just so inspired by the fire in your heart, Edgar. You. you said that you were born a little bit different, have that spark. And now as you advance in your life, you can see that spark growing bigger and bigger and brighter. And yeah, there are setbacks, there are challenges, there are quote-unquote failure, even though I don't never think there's actually a failure. But all the events happen, I only see the spark got brighter, got greater. Not always, not always. But, you know, I, I'm sure you have that, that, that spark. I mean, you know, mm. you know, I've heard your story and I, I think mm. you definitely have it. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's something inside that you just, you can't explain. I completely and, understand. And, and I feel sorry for my for my parents sometimes because they have to watch this roller coaster. I feel sorry for my family, some you know, my wife and kids sometimes they have to, you know, put up with with this crazy at times vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we we're a family and you know, we mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have their support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that. It's like yeah. you cannot not do. Yeah. You cannot not be you cannot not follow the heart, that calling in, you, in your chest and just telling me that, telling you there's so much more. Exactly. Pulling you forward. Exactly. That is so inspiring. 
So what's next? At this moment, you are hustling. You build a family, mm. and you're trying to make the golf business work in the downtown. And then what's next? And then, um, then I I started opening. I had this idea called Twenty Four Seven Golf, mm. and the idea was to uh, open these indoor golf centers where you can practice like those twenty four hour gyms you mm. know, where there's no staff. And so I opened the first one near my house, um, and it did okay. Um, and then I opened another one in in downtown. And at the time, also when I actually when I opened my first one, I really wanted to get out of this current business I was in with the two partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and Why? I just didn't see a future in it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we tried for five years, over five years, to really make it happen. And, and I just felt like it, it just was never going to scale. Is it because of business model, cash flow, location? So the, the rent, like the the rent where we paid the lease, you know, mm-hmm. was um, you know it was three hundred and sixty thousand a year. Mm, All right, and and when we at the at the, the five year mark, our landlord wanted to increase six hundred thousand dollars. It just it wasn't viable, and and it was always going to be you know, and it is now it's a successful small business, and those guys have done a great job with it, um, and I'm proud of what they've done. It's it just wasn't the scale that mm-hmm. I was seeking. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build something world changing. You want to build the world first monopoly where it's just keep coming. That's it. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know? Um, and, and so I, I thought these 24 hour centers, I could open hundreds and hundreds, thousands of them, you expand to America, mm. etc. So I've opened my first one and did okay. That hence the name 24 seven golf mm. kind of stuck. Mm. I created the brand myself, designed it myself, you know, obviously with a graphical designer, but the concept was, Very nice. was mine. And then, uh, opened the second one. And uh, so when I had left my business partners, and uh, <laughs> it failed miserably. <laughs> and the second one, and it, you know, I invest and I borrow money again from my parents, uh, and kind of all my savings and credit cards and all that, maxed everything out, opened this venue, and it, it just failed. How do you have no fear, Igor? Like you, once again, you just grab everything you have and dump into the next thing. So, so I, I think it's a really good question. Um, and and it's a lesson I hope to teach my kids. It it it's not I didn't have fear. It was I had too much delusion. <laughs> and, and I mean that. <laughs> and I mean that in a, both a positive way and a negative way. So mm. in a positive way, it's like I had this vision, and I was mm. so convinced mm. that it's going to work that there was there was no fear because. Like, how could there be fear? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine you have a winning lottery. Like, you know, someone from the future gave you the numbers, right? <laughs> and you go like, like, these are the numbers. Like, why would I have fear going into a 7-Eleven and buying these lottery numbers? When you I know they're the winning know. numbers, you, you just, just know. know. And so I knew. However, the entrepreneurial, you know, confidence of just knowing doesn't always work out, does mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had no fear because I was convinced mm. that it was going to work. Mm. Um, and then it didn't. Mm. And how was that? How did you and your family take that news? Um, so, so the good thing by then I was getting a little bit smart. I was still pretty silly in some ways, but I knew I had to pull the plug pretty quick, mm. you know, to, 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 uh, to really make sure I don't spiral into a, a massive debt. So I pulled the plug and I said, okay, I'm going to, um, I need to sell this equipment that I've got in the shop, uh, which was the golf simulators, you know? And so I posted them on the Facebook marketplace 
and I sold them in like a week. Mm. I'm like, hmm, this was easy. It's a lot easier than running this business, you know, with this venue and retail space and staff and all that. And so I, I bought a few more, you know, from the U.S. It was actually an, um, an American company called Skytrack. And uh, so I bought a few more and I sold those. And, and I thought to myself, why didn't I do this earlier? You know, um, I, I was selling. So when we had this big venue, it was called Golf Tech Australia. Um, we used to sell simulators to other people that would come to us, but it was quite expensive because back then there was nothing available. It was the Skytrek unit. It was like 2000 US dollars for this box. And, um, and so it really opened the market up to, um, to a lot more people. And so I just started selling it. And, and by accident, I ended up with an e-commerce business. Um, but before that, when this, when the business failed, um, I was in a really bad spot and, uh, and one thing you learn when you have debt and you go into bad positions is you, you learn that you most debt you have either 90 days or 120 days before you, you go past what's called a point of no return. So for example, with a bank, if you're 120 days late on your mortgage, they sell the house for you, right? That's it. You got no control from that point. And you know, this is our family house, you know, my parents live in it and, uh, it was day 106. Mm. Um, it was just, it was actually a little bit, it was about day 100 when, when, when this whole idea that I'm about to literally lose everything I've managed to hold on to, destroy my family, destroy my, everything my parents built, you know, coming as immigrants, you know, it was, it was a pretty horrendous moment. And I just, and it was November, end of November and, you know, so, cause Australia that summer and Christmas, like everyone just leaves. No one works around, like from like 17th of December till after Australia day, which is 26th of January, the, the kind of commercial world is on a holiday vacation. And I was like, I need a job. How am I going to find a job? And I started applying for every job that was even remotely in, in IT. And I managed to get a contract within like the first week or first, no, it was two weeks because I remember I was at the end of the first week, I didn't get a single reply and I was devastated. I thought, this is it. You know, this is the end. Um, and, and then I got an interview and I managed to get the job. And I remember again, a very valuable lesson, right? I, so I called every person or every company I owed money to. And I said, look, I've got this. I sent them a copy of the contract. Uh, this job I'm getting paid but they wouldn't pay me the first payment until like 14th of January and I said I just need an extra six weeks I said here's the contract all the money will go to that just please don't you know don't bankrupt me um and you know one thing I learned every company you owe money to would rather you pay it back late than never so every one of them agreed I said no problem okay fine um, so they held off and, uh, so I started this job for, you know, back in when I was in the Australia post, this job was like a third of the salary, but it was something. And, uh, and I started working my way up and, you know, like six months later I was double the salary and then went and got another job and increased the salary again. And, you know, within a laugh about this with my wife, cause I got quite a low level sort of process analyst job. I hope the guys that, um, that actually gave me that job. Don't listen to this because there's a bit of create. There was a bit of creativity in that job interview as well. But I, I ended up uh, 
climbing the ladder so quickly that I was basically a CTO within two and a half years, you know? And, and the interesting thing is, and this will bring me back to a point about why am I in, in, in America? I was, when I got the CTO job, I was applying um, for like project management and you know, contracts. And, because what I realized by that point is as my e-commerce was slowly growing, cash flow is king. So I made a promise to my family, until my business is on its own two feet, I am going to have a job. You know, and I will work on the business at night, you know, in the morning, whenever. And so I kept that job and, and I was applying for these different jobs. And uh, the guy that hired me was an American. And he kind of looked at my resume and, he, and it was, I remember because I, when he got hired, when I got hired, I got access to all the folders. And one of the folders was my, my resume with like notes in it. And I read his notes and he highlighted all the things I had hoped people would value. You know, my experience, very you know, different experience, my entrepreneurial experience. And he said, that's the guy. That's who you want to run this, you know, because it was a bit of a startup. And, uh, and I had an amazing experience there. And, I, and I, it was my favorite job of my career. Um, and, I, and I left it only when I moved to America. Why? Why did I leave or why did I move to America? Why do you leave? Because as you say, it's the best job ever. You were in a great footing, your business growing. Everything seems yeah. great. So during COVID, uh, during pandemic, obviously Australia was in heavy lockdown. So my e-commerce business went through the roof um, and it grew very quickly. Uh, and uh, and the job was amazing. So I had this amazing job. We we bought a house for ourselves uh, just before the lockdown. So, you know, we did, got, like life was great, but I have the itch. Mm. And the itch is, it's not enough. Mm. And... I always wanted, I've been wanting to move to America for, for 20 plus years. Why? Because America gives you a playground. I call it a playground, but you know, it gives you a, a pond to play in mm. that is bigger than any other pond in the world. You get a bigger game of Monopoly that you Correct. get to play. You got it. Amazing. It's just, it's that, I actually never tied that story to, to this, but that was very artful. That's exactly... That's exactly what it is. It just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't a true test of who, mm. who you are as an entrepreneur. Who do you think you are as an entrepreneur, Igor? It's a good question. That's why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just someone who, I want to change the world in my own way using tech. Mm. And I ended up in golf. And I'm, I'm like, I'm mad over golf. I love golf. It's my happy place. And I just, I, just, I think that there is a, and the, the great thing is people who love golf, like people who are golfers that like, it's not, I don't think it's like other sports. People get really obsessed with golf. And so being in that industry, I find really rewarding because you do something that makes people so happy. And so that's who I am as an entrepreneur. I, I want to change the world of sport and golf mm -hmm. with tech. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how, you know, I ended up with the, this golf simulator business. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, I ended up building an app. Mm. Golf track. Golf track. Mm. Uh, and again, kind of by accident, I had this 24-7 golf business, right? We had these two cameras um, they, that 
I, I hired some engineer to write some software to synchronize with with a person hitting a shot. And I was looking at the video. I'm, I'm like, I wonder if actually we got the cameras. Then I got these phones instead of the cameras because there was there were better cameras in the phone than the cameras. I thought, I wonder if we could track the ball just using a phone. Well, you know, six years later, yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just so magical, Igor. I think you are just follow that curiosity in your heart, thinking what is next? How do we solve this problem? How do we make this better? Mm -hmm. How do we provide a greater happiness to your customer who love golf as much as you are? And once at the time today, 24-7 golf or golf track has been a complete solution to supporting him or her on their journey of being a better golfer. That's right. And and it's it's what golf track has has shown is you can make it available mm -hmm. to everyone because everyone's mm -hmm. got a phone in their pocket. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I craved in in moving here, in, in exploring a bigger market, is being able to deliver what I think is a really valuable thing, mm -hmm. like a product, mm -hmm. um, to so many more people mm. in, in, in a way that really makes it not just affordable because it's a phone, but it's just convenience. Like mm -hmm. You already have the phone, you know, and, the, and cameras are so amazing these days on phones. That's how I ended up with Golf Track. So again, kind of by accident. That's amazing. And so for listeners who are just now as I so intrigued, where can he or she get one themselves? So of course, thank you. So um, my website is www.247.golf. Uh, so that's the where you can buy the simulators, and and my app is Golf Track, mm -hmm. um, Golf T R A K dot app. There's some information on there as well, and yeah, yeah. We'll make sure link in the in the bio and all, so everybody can go there to grab one yourself. Thank you. I'm curious, Igor. Now it's long journey to home regarding now I feel like you truly find what you really passionate and you love to do and now you get to share this with a bigger world I'm curious I'm curious what do you what's your thought about being I feel like you were dreaming for success long ago what's your definition for success and do you think at this moment you have there you've been there already oh, another really good question you know, it's a cliche. People say success is not the destination, it's the journey. Mm. And for many years, I really thought, what a silly cliche. <laughs> you know, I don't want the journey. I just want, you know, I want the mansion and the nice car and the holidays. Yep. Bring know? me to the end point. That's right. Yeah, hit a little fast forward button. But it's, as I went through it, what I realized, and, and having a family, mm. you know, and having these most amazing kids and amazing wife and amazing parents, has taught me that success is, I think success is having that freedom to, to, to be with, with the people you want to be with, so like your family mm -hmm. and, 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 and give them and yourself the experiences mm. that, that make life worth living. You know, so my wife and I think one thing we share uh, very strongly is we love travel. You know, we've been to 28 countries each, you know, we, we, and, and with our kids and, and, and what we want for them is to see the world, to experience the world. I love that. Because, you know, I've been successful in the terms of success, you know, fancy cars and, you know, this and that. And I've also been completely broke. And, and 
definitely I choose having money over not having money, right? <laughs> but when I was also really successful, I was also really miserable at times, you know, uh, in terms of my, my emotional state. Um, so it is the journey as such, but you also, um, you also need context. Mm -hmm. You need to make it, you need, need, the journey needs to be worthwhile it, for you mm -hmm. and, and your family. It, it needs to mean something. Uh, and for us, it's really the, the experience of what the world has to offer. Do I consider myself successful? If I'm honest, kind of half-half. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I've, I feel sometimes I forget, mm. you know, where we are. Like we moved to America uh, uh, less than a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And, and, uh, and I love it here. I love being in Texas. Um, but do I feel like I've made it? No. But I also, having spoken to other entrepreneurs, successful, successful entrepreneurs that I perceive to be successful, I think that's the thing about entrepreneurs. They really, they're really um, sort of the ones that are out there changing the world. I, I think they never feel successful. I think that for them, it's never enough. It's, it's not about arriving somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's the ability, it's having the ability mm -hmm. to keep going down this journey. I love to that. making that decision every morning when you wake up, I'm going to go on this journey. Stay hungry, stay humble. That's right. Love that. And Edgar, I think you are so interesting because the journey you took, like you said, you live in extraordinary time where you, at the moment, you had everything. And also you live through moments where you lost everything. With that, so much up and down in life and also you physically journey far, right, from Australia now to the United States and traveled around the world. I wonder what is one truth you think that has truly remained constant despite the good time and downtime and all the things between? If you pass to your children, if you tell her, tell him, what is one great truth that you hold to your heart after seeing all there is in business, in life, personally, mentally, all and above, what is one great truth you wish he to understand from your experience? That's a good question. What is the one truth? I think it comes down to whatever the truth may be, whatever that happiness that you seek or enlightenment or success, financial, emotional, you know, anything. I think the one thing that really comes down to is everything is within yourself. Mm. It is never out there somewhere. Someone once told me that... <laughs> The, the thing with running away, you know, when people run away from somewhere, yeah. the, the, the problem with running away is that you're always there, <laughs> right? And, 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 and that actually makes sense because ultimately mm. you can't run away from yourself. So whatever is, it, it is that you seek, mm -hmm. it's always within yourself. Oh, I love that so much because yeah. I oftentimes think entrepreneurship is truly a spiritual journey. It's just you mm. and the world and... Whatever you're looking for is already inside you. And what a beautiful statement. Thank you. My last question to you, Igor, is what do you define American dream? Today you journey far, you finally, you know, find a home in in Texas. How do you see about American dream if you have one? I think the American dream is that, you know, they talk a lot about freedom. Mm. And I, I'm not sure if people truly understand what that means because I think you only know what that is when you haven't had it. 
you know, when it's been taken away from you. Um, and freedom can be freedom of thought, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of pursuing your journey. And to me, the American dream and what America does so well, and I, and I wish more people who live here, who grew up here, understand this. Because like you and I have come from very different places <laughs> to America, right? Yep. I'm not talking about Australia either. Um, is th that freedom to be and pursue whatever you want and be whoever you want and like really, truly pursue what's inside yourself mm. and explore that. I think that is the true American dream and that's what America does so well. And I hope people don't take it for granted. So beautiful. I have goosebumps hearing you saying that. And you are so, so right. And I think, I think so true that I hear we can, we get to be whoever we want to be. We get to experience whatever journey you want to pursue because at the end of the day, the world, it is truly your oyster if you choose to see it that way. And it's not like that in a lot of places around the world. So here, here. You don't have kids yet, do you? I do not. No. Um, if you ever do, uh, there's one phrase, and someone told me this only recently. Yeah. It's one of the most amazing, and it applies to people like us, immigrants. Tell us. Um, so I was in a circle of entrepreneur dads, mm -hmm. and um, one of the challenges that comes up is, you know, we, we achieve success, but a lot of us come from nothing. And the question is, how do you raise your kids not to be spoiled brats? You know, mm -hmm. How do you teach them the values that we grew up with? Because And we got those values because we had nothing. Mm-hmm. And someone said, you cannot fake poverty. You, you can always go to Africa you can go, or, you know, wherever and, and see hungry kids and you can, you know, help them and feed them. But you yourself, you're not one of those kids. Mm -hmm. You have everything. You know, my kids are growing up in a 4,500 square foot house with a, with a pool overlooking the golf course. Like, they are not growing up how I grew up. And you can't force that poverty that we had growing up onto them because it doesn't work because mm -hmm. it's fake. Mm -hmm. So we have to find another way to teach them our values, our hunger. Did you find a way? I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I think, I don't think I'll know until they're grown up. Please give me a call when you find I out. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll have my son on the podcast and my daughter one day. You know? Hey. Wow, what an amazing journey. Thank you so much, Eric Norris. So for such a wonderful, amazing, 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 heart-opening conversation. I feel so, so inspired and just enlightened by the discussion. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. I so, so hope you enjoyed as well as much as I do. And we cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.